Just like the video says, stop flirting with disaster and allow God to put some guardrails in your life. Hey, we've been in a series for three weeks now. This is part four, a series called uh, Guardrails. And, and we started really the first week talking about how we all have regrets in life. And if we think about, man, I really regret this, I really regret that, I really regret what I said here or what I did here, as we think back through, um, you know, maybe the Rolodex of our life, and we, and, we, and we thumb back through it, that there's so many times where we just have regrets. And if we've been going God's direction and following His commands from Scripture and reading the Bible and, and really applying it to our lives, how it would help us avoid so much disaster, so many, so many times falling in the ditch and, 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 and falling off the cliff and having these big things uh, blow up in our lives because we're not moving His direction. And so what we do as believers is we set up guardrails. And if you haven't been with us, uh, let's just do a, 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 a little recap of what is a guardrail. It's important that we understand what is a guardrail. A guardrail is this. A guardrail is God's standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conviction in a believer's life. God's standard of behavior, and we read that and find that in the Bible, that becomes a matter of conviction that we're actually going to live by, and we're, we're convicted about these things, and it's in a believer's life. Now, we put in there specifically in a believer's life because these are the guardrails that the Holy Spirit helps us not only install in our lives, but helps us to obey God's direction for our life. And, and you may be a person today that hasn't given your heart and your life to Christ Jesus uh, yet, and we say, welcome, we want you to be here. Um, you could take everything we're going to be teaching today, everything we've taught the last three weeks, you could apply these things to your life, and I'll be honest with you, you would have a better life. You would stay out of trouble. You would not have as many regrets as you have now. These are good things, good, good guidelines, good guardrails to put in your life that, that, that God wants you to live by. But we have an advantage, those of us that are believers, because we have God's Holy Spirit in us that is guiding us and helping us move God's direction. Now, do we do it perfectly? No, there's sometimes where some of us hit the guardrail. We got some cars got a little dents in our fenders, and you know we, we've made some mistakes, but it's been good because we haven't maybe gone over the edge and taken the cliff dive. You know, the first week we talked about regrets. The second week we talked about friends. We talked about even in our friendships, because of the influences there, that we sometimes have to set guardrails with friends. They're trying to take us the wrong direction because most people, when they tried that sin for the first time, most of them did it with a friend. And then last week we, were, we talked about sexual immorality, and I, I talked about that a little bit earlier. And, you know, sometimes you just don't know what's going to happen there. I mean, my wife was sweating that whole sermon, you know, and it's one of those things as the minister's wife, you just, you know, man, I hope he doesn't say too much or say the wrong thing, you know, it makes everybody a little bit nervous. But hey, I was like, the scripture talks about it. We need to talk about it too. And when Paul says flee, that's what he means. And so I hope uh, that you set some guardrails in your life that just says, you know, I'm not even going to go there. I'm not even going to put myself in that circumstance. I'm just going to do what he said. I'm just going to flee. And today we're going to be talking about guardrails in our marriage and specifically how to protect our marriage. Now, if you are not married this morning and you're a single person that's here, what's cool about the message today is you can apply it to your life even if you're not married because we're not doing a marriage section of Scripture this morning. Now, usually when you talk about marriage, you say, well, you're going to use the marriage passage, right? We've been in Ephesians a lot lately, and so you're probably going to use Ephesians 
chapter 5, where it talks about wives and husbands. No, we're actually not. We're actually looking at a passage this morning in Ephesians chapter 4 that actually just talks about how we're supposed to live as believers and how we're, how we're supposed to function in the newness of life that, that God's given us. And how do we relate to all those relationships? And the way I want you to think about it this morning, for those of us who are married, is how much more, if we're supposed to be this way as new believers in our relationships with friends and family members and people at work and, and people on the soccer field, how much more should this be true in our marriages? And I'm hoping that God will, will encourage us there. So if you have your Bibles this morning, uh, I want to invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, we've got you covered. You can uh, download the Oakwood app and you can follow along with all the sermon notes and scripture there. Or you can grab that Bible that's right there in front of you and turn it to page 978. It'll be right there at Ephesians chapter 4. Now, give you a little background to the scripture here. Remember the first week of the series when we started in the book of Ephesians. If you, if you turn over just, just one chapter to chapter 5, we started down at verse 15. And what that reminded us, that very first week, what it reminded us of was, was the scripture says this, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And none of us want to go through life and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm an idiot, you know, I'm unwise, I do make unwise choices and do unwise things. We always want to walk in God's wisdom, and, and, it, and it encouraged us, it said, hey, and make the best use of your time because the days are evil, the days are getting short. And it says to understand what the Lord's will is. And that's kind of where we started. Now, if you, um, before you got to the section that we're going to read today, which is uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, I want to go back just a little bit before that, because at the end of chapter 3, this is what he's encouraging believers to do, and, he, and, and he's talking about the gospel here, and he says um, in verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you'd be rooted and grounded in love, that you would have the strength to comprehend with all of the saints how deep God's love is for you, and, and knowing that, that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God, that because of what God has done for you and because of how much he loves you, because of that, that'd be your motivation and inspiration and even push you in a direction in life that you would live as Christ lived, that you would become like his son and live in the fullness of God. Now, when you get down to chapter four here, uh, we did a series called Say Yes this summer where we were talking about ministry and being involved in the body of Christ. And you might remember that uh, he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers. To do what? To equip the saints for works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up. And so on the heels of all that, then you get to verse 17 in Ephesians chapter 4. And he's talking about the new life we have in Christ Jesus and how that changes us and how we should live and how we should relate to the world. And in verse 24, right before we pick up our passage this morning, he says this, to put on the new self. To put on the new self. Now, if you read the scriptures in the New Testament, you see this concept and you hear it all throughout the New Testament of times where we're called to put on something and put off something else. And, and I love it here that he says that you're supposed to put on the new life. You're supposed to put on the new self. Why? Because you are not the same. When you come to Jesus Christ and you give your life over to him, it says that he removes your sin as far as the east is from the west, and you're to live in it what, how, how much? No longer. You don't live in that sin any longer. And because of that, you walk in this newness of life. And then he tells us how. Okay, what does that look like, how? And that's where we're going to pick up verse 25 this morning. And this is what it says. Therefore... 
Therefore, because of everything that I've just said about the new life that you're putting on in Christ Jesus, you're going to be a new person. You're going to put on the new self. Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And so it's talking about we're going to be truth speakers here, truth seekers here, because we belong to each other. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Interesting there that it says right there directly, be angry. Like, oh, do I have to be? In some translations, it says in your anger. So there's an assumption there that at some point in life, you're going to be angry. How many of you have ever been angry before? I just want to see how many liars we got in second service. Oh, good. All right, good. First First service was good too. So yeah, we've all been angry. So it says, be angry and do not sin. And then it says, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. We're going to be talking about that in just a few minutes. In verse 28, it says, says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So we're going to be honest people and deal honestly and work hard, honestly, labor hard, and so that God can use us in that. In verse 29, it says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. We're we'll going to be talking about that. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. How do you grieve the Holy Spirit of God? Is you don't walk in his ways. You don't listen to him. You don't walk in his guidelines. You don't allow God's guardrails to be there in your life. And then in verse 31, it says, Let all bitterness, all wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, Forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Now, you read this passage of Scripture, and you can see this is about relationships for everyone. Now, I'm going to really have us focus on the marriage today because I'm like, if we're supposed to live this way with brothers and sisters in Christ, if we're supposed to live this way in the world as we rub shoulders with our neighbors, if we're supposed to live this way with our fellow co-workers and, and, and things like that, how much more should we live this way in our marriages? How much more should we live this way in marriage and function in our marriages in this way to honor and glorify God, to set up these guardrails that they would not only, what, protect us, right? Protect us from the deep fall and the pits, but would also direct us, right? They show us the direction in life that we're supposed to go because, because they're guardrails. They're there. They're not going to let us go off and veer off. And so we put these firmly in the ground. We say, this is God's direction for my life and I'm going to go his way. So let's talk about these because there are several guardrails for life and for marriage this morning as we, as we talk about this passage. And the first one is this. It's the guardrail of truth. The guardrail of truth. Look what it says there in our text in verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, opposite of falsehood is truth, we're putting away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We're members of one another in the body of Christ. Talks about that we're family, we belong to one another. We've studied that over the last couple of months. How much more in a marriage are we members of one another? And do we belong to each other in Jesus Christ? And so it's important that we speak the truth. To be honest always. And to speak the truth to our spouse. 
I, as I was thinking about this this week, I, I, I thought, I had this thought. I was like, how often do people actually lie to their, to their spouse? And I did, you know, what, what every you know, good person would do is get on Google, right? And look for statistics on this, right? And so that's what I did. And um, what I found out is this says the person that you lie to most in life is your spouse. And I was kind of shocked by that. It's like, really? Because I think that's the person I'm most truthful with. But you have to understand, you know, I'm married to Amy, and she's awesome. So, you know, maybe, maybe not everybody has an Amy in their life. But no, but seriously, not, but you know, I got to thinking. And this is just me, you know, being transparent this morning. There are times in my marriage where I have lied to Amy. And I've thought I had a good reason to do it, too. You know, she's worried about money, and I'm like, oh, babe, we got lots of money. We're okay, and, you know, well, do we have enough for this? And when you have three girls in your house, you always... You just, this is always expenses, you know? It's just girls are more expensive than boys. I just, except sometimes we have bigger toys, right? And so, being honest. But, but you know, there are times where maybe I have not been 100% truthful. And Amy, if you're in here, don't worry. We, we're okay. I, I don't want her sweating and freaking out and her hands are It's like, she's been lying to me, you know? No. But I'm just saying there are times in my marriage, we've been married 22 years, there are times where I've you know, given her a half truth or not told her the whole truth. There's times with situations and circumstances where I want her to think well of me so I don't tell her the truth about a situation that I'm in that really happened. And, and I have this tendency that maybe I exaggerate it one way or, or, or say it one way to make myself look better because, you know, it's your spouse and you want them to think highly of you. And, you know, and, you know for some of you, maybe it's something different. Maybe it's that, that relationship. And we talked about this last week a lot. But it's that relationship um, with, you know, that person you dated you know, 25 years ago in high school, but you're, you're carrying online with them and, and you're not telling your spouse because you have separate Facebook accounts and you're hiding the messenger app and, you know, but you're, you know, hey, who are you talking to, you know, yesterday? Did you talk to anybody? And, oh, no, honey, you know, honey, I didn't talk to anyone. And, and maybe for some of you, it's, you know, you know, but we have this tendency to want to, to conceal things and not to tell the whole truth. And it says here that because of the work that God has done in us and because who we are, because it's changed, it's a new life. We're a different, different person, a new creation of 1 Corinthians 5.17 says, because of that, we are now truthful people. And so it says here that we're supposed to what? We're supposed to put away falsehood. That that's not a part of our character and part of who we are anymore. Now, this is true in all relationships, but like I said, I want to especially talk about this in marriage today because we need to have truthful communications always in our marriage. And we need to put down that guardrail that says, I'm not going to lie when it's convenient. I'm not going to lie when it makes me look better. I'm not going to lie when it makes the other person feel better. I'm going to speak the truth always. Because this tendency for us is to cover up things we don't want our spouse to know, which is the same as lying. It's the same as not telling the truth. And Scripture talks a lot about this. Because Scripture gives a lot of imagery to this light and darkness thing. Because if you think about it, light exposes, right? If we have the lights on, you can see. Light exposes and darkness covers. And when we sin... Or when we lie and we want to cover up things, what do we do? We have this tendency to want to cover, right? To, to, to cover and to not expose into light, but to cover under darkness. That's why a lot of sins are done in the darkness. You know, if you're going to rob uh, someplace, uh, you may choose to say, well, I'm going to rob it at night because there's darkness. It's harder to, harder to find things. It's harder to see things. Now, if you're going to do it during the day, what do you do? You cover what? You cover your face with a face mask and you wear, you know, 
long trench coat and make sure that everything's covered so they don't have your description. Why? Because you're trying to hide. Why? Because you're sinning and doing a bad thing. If you're doing a bad thing with someone of the opposite sex, you don't go and, and do that, you know, in, you know in, the, in the parking lot where everybody can see it. You know, you don't do it in, in your living room in front of the whole family. You know, if you're trying to hide something, you don't, you don't, if you're trying to hide it, you're trying to conceal it, you try to do it in darkness. You sneak, right? And God says, hey, we're not, we're not children of that anymore. We're, we're going to put away falsehood. We're going to bring truth and we're going to bring this, this light to life. Look what it says in 1 John, 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. It's on the screen for you. It says this, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. That God, he just is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. And if we say, well, we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth, which is why he says here in our passage today, put away falsehood, because we don't want to lie and not practice truth. It says, but if we walk in the light, all things being exposed as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. Now, just a, for a few uh, verses earlier in Ephesians chapter 4, if you go to uh, verse 15 there, it talks about speaking the truth in love. Literally, it says there that we are truthing in love and that we are to be, a, be children of the light and speakers of the truth. And so we put this guardrail in our life, in our relationships, but especially in our marriage that we are going to tell our spouse the truth. And some of you may struggle with that. And that might be something that has put mistrust in your marriage because your wife or your husband can name a hundred million times that you've lied to them. And they find out, they, they look on your phone or they look on the computer or they look in the checkbook or they get the letter in the mail and you didn't tell them that you're overdrawn and they get the letter and why didn't you tell me? And you, because you're trying to hide it and conceal it, you are not putting away falsehood. And it causes mistrust in the marriage. And so, to guard relationships in life, but most of all with our spouse. Put up that guardrail of truth. The second thing from our passage this morning is we need to put up the guardrail of quick resolution. Put up the guardrail of quick resolution. A guardrail that says, you know what? We're going to resolve all of our differences quickly. We're not, we're not going to string them out. We're not going to wait. Look what it says in verse 26 and 27. It says, be angry and do not sin. You know, the Bible actually says that Jesus was angry, but yet Jesus was sinless. Well, it says here, be angry. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to have feelings, strong feelings, but in your anger, when you're angry, be angry, but do not sin. And then he tells you a way to make it even better and make it easier on yourself. It says, be angry, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Why? Because the devil loves unresolved conflict. That's where he does some of his best work. And I tell you, after counseling couples in marriage for so many years, I'm telling you, those unresolved things in that marriage relationship are what kills a marriage so many times. It just, it just kills a marriage. Because, because you and your spouse, you have a disagreement, and, and, and you go to bed angry at each other, and what happens? Well, she didn't want to snuggle tonight, right? She put a pillow between you, you know, or what? She gets out of bed, right? She's going to sleep on the couch. I'm so mad, I don't want 
even breathe the same air. You know, I'm going to go out to the couch tonight or, you know, or the, or the man is, you know, out on the couch because she's taking over, you know, and she's kicking you out. And, and, you know, guys, I mean, men and women, you know, females and males are equally, equally culpable in this area. Because we don't resolve, we, we sometimes dig in our heels, we got our viewpoint, and we don't want to resolve conflict. And there's many times where that unresolved conflict, by the time they get to you know, a counselor or they come see a minister, has gone on for years. And what we're going to read about in our passage in a little bit has set in. Bitterness, wrath, malice, slander, all of those things have set in and settled into this marriage. Why? Because we were angry and we didn't resolve it. And so what I want to challenge us today to do is to put up those guardrails of a quick resolution. Because the longer it goes on, it seems like the more we are tempted to sin and probably do sin, the longer it goes on, the more and the harder it becomes to resolve the conflict and resolve the issue. And again, this, this requires lots of things that Christians should have. It requires humility requires a spirit of reconciliation. It requires someone who wants to work it out with their spouse. But don't give the devil an opportunity in your relationship with your spouse. For some of you that maybe you're single here this morning, don't allow, don't give the devil that opportunity in your family or, or don't give the devil that opportunity uh, um, in your friendship or that coworker. Don't, don't give the devil the opportunity there. Resolve that conflict. Remember what the scripture says, as far as it depends on you, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I understand sometimes you're like, well, I can't control this. You know, I've felt that in my life before. I can't control what they're going to say or how they're going to feel or what they're going to do. But at some point it says, hey, as long as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So we align our hearts with Christ Jesus, put up the guardrail of quick resolution. The third thing from our passage is the guardrail of positive speech. The guardrail of positive speech. We live in a world of negative speech. Everything that we consume in media seems to have a negative tinge to it. You go home, you may have negative conversations with your kids. Everything in the world is wrong and it's just negative, negative, negative. And sometimes, even in marriage, we talk bad about our spouse. We have negative talk about them. We get around some friends at work and we're talking about, man, she's this and man, she's that. Or, you know, we get around friends and he doesn't listen to me and he's this and he's that. And, you know, and we get in the comparison trap like we talked about last week that, you know, oh, your husband's so much better than my husband because he does this or he does that. And none of it leads to anything good. Look what it says here in verse 29 of our passage. It says, let no... Zero, no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up positive words, encouraging words, building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, interesting enough, how does he end that verse 29 right there? He says that it may give grace to those who hear. He's not only talking about the person that you're having a conversation with, he's saying that if somebody comes by and overhears your conversation that they would be so seasoned in grace that it'd be encouraging to them. That they would be encouraged by the grace-filled speech that you have about your loved one, about your spouse. And that we're not going to let the unwholesome talk come out of our mouth as some 
some of the translations say. Here it says, no corrupting talk come out of our mouths, but only that which is good for building up others as fits the occasion that it may give grace to all those who hear. And notice there in verse 30, the next verse says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. It's kind of on the heels of this thing. And you wonder why. It's because there's scripture in the Bible that says that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit because what you're choosing to say. And I understand some of you may feel very justified to have very strong feelings about your spouse and about your marriage and what's been going on and, and, and that, you know, man, you just haven't been treated right for years or, or whatever those things are. But I'm here to tell you, put down that guardrail that says, you know what, we're going to have positive speech. We're going to say positive things or we're going to move our marriage and our family in a positive direction and don't get caught up in all the negativity of the world. It doesn't produce anything good in life. The fourth guardrail, and probably the most important this morning, and the last one that we're going to go over this morning, is the guardrail of forgiveness. So we have the guardrail of truth, of a quick resolution when we have problems, the guardrail of positive speech, but also the guardrail of forgiveness. Turn over uh, to uh, verse 31 and 32. It says this, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. I mean, that sentence right there is just like, whoa. But that's how some people live. And then what does it say in verse 32? And think about this with your spouse. Be kind to one another. You know why your spouse married you? One of the reasons? Because you were kind. You were kind. You treated them in a very kind way. You were very patient with them. You spoke to them in a very soft way. You're very gentle toward them. That has an attractive quality that made them attracted to you. And he says there, be kind to one another. And look at the next word he uses there. Tender-hearted. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. You know, so many times in marriage, I, I see couples that are not tender toward each other anymore. They're just not tender-hearted. They're just, rah, 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 rah. They're just at each other, just amped up all the time. But be tender-hearted toward one another. Be kind. Be tender-hearted. And then here he makes the key. Forgiving one another. Forgiving one another. Do you know the person, if you're married today, you know the person you're going to forgive the most in your life? Your spouse. Why? Because you live with them. We were, we're, we're hard to live with. You, you'd ask my wife. She'd probably, you know, forgiven me a thousand million times, you know, already. And we've only got 22 years, you know. It's like, but that, I mean, that's the truth. You're going to forgive your spouse more than any other person in your life if you want to stay together and have a God, Christ-centered, awesome, rocking marriage. And yet, that seems to be the person that we can hold a grudge against the most, that's the person that, man, when they're having, you know, issues and they come against me and, you know, we're going to fight back and forth. And a lot of times, it's, I mean, just being honest, it's the root of bitterness and unforgiveness that's in a heart that when they come and talk to me, it has been seeded in there for years. And the roots are so deep, you try to pull that weed, it's really hard to get out. And you wonder, if you didn't let the sun go down in your anger, if you'd had positive intentions and in speech there, if you would have forgiven... How? Look how he ends that verse 32. As God in Christ forgave 
you. That's how we're supposed to forgive, as God in Christ forgave you. Let me remind you how God in Christ forgave you. It wasn't when you fixed things. It wasn't when you were sorry. It wasn't when you woke up one day and said, man, I feel really bad about my sin, God. That's when Christ died for you. No, Romans tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let me paint a picture. While you still spit upon Christ and watch him be beaten and scorned and bleeding from everywhere and you watch him be crucified on the cross, And you would applaud it because you chose your sinfulness over eternal life with Him. While you were going down your own way in life and choosing all the sinfulness and the sensual pleasures of the world and choosing all the wrong things, that's when Christ died for you. And that's when He forgave you. That's where forgiveness started. It wasn't when they said, I'm sorry. It wasn't when we, when we turned to God and repented of our sins that He forgave us. No, He forgave us before that. That's why this passage ends that way. And it's so critical. Be kind to one another. Soften your heart. Tender-hearted. Tender toward your spouse. Forgiving one another. Forgive them. Just let it go. Sometimes we're just not going to fix them. We're not even going to fix the situation. Just let it go. Forgive them. How? You forgive them as God in Christ forgave you. How else did God in Christ forgive us? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. That we deserve death. We deserve a penalty for the way we behave and the the choices we make in life. And God says, no, 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 what? I won't whip, beat, and hang you on a cross. Let me allow my son to do that. How much more should we forgive one another? How much more should you forgive your spouse? Because sometimes in marriage, what surprises me is you've been holding a grudge for years. Some that happened 15 years ago will come up at the counseling session because you never let it go. And we're called by Christ to forgive. The guardrail of forgiveness in life that we're not going to allow bitterness and malice and all those things. We're going to set that guardrail. We're going to say, you know what? I'm going to be a forgiving spouse. I'm going to be a forgiving Christian. I'm going to remember all that Christ has done for me. I'm going to allow that to be motivation for my life. And I want you to remember this, that deficits are dangerous. Deficits are dangerous. Let let me explain what I mean by that. This is true in relationships, but especially in a marriage. Deficits are dangerous. Sometimes there's a spiritual deficit that's in a marriage, where you have one spouse that wants to pursue God. In fact, that spouse may have drug you to church today, right? She, she, she promised that she would rub your feet this afternoon if you would just come to church with her today. Or, or he promised that he'd wash your car if you'd just come to church with him today. And there's this deficit in the spiritual walk. And this deficit leaves us wanting, right? Wanting something more, something else. Sometimes it's in the physical part of our marriage. If somebody was withholding some physical intimacy from another, and it gets to that point where you're just like, you know what? I'm starting to think about other things with other people now. 
Deficits are dangerous. Some of you, it's the deficit that you, you don't talk to your spouse. There's a deficit in communication. I mean, I know in my life, that's, that's something I struggle with. That, that, that my wife enjoys and needs deep gut-level communication. And guess what? When there's a deficit there, your spouse may turn to someone else to get that communication. They may turn to someone else to be heard. Deficits are dangerous in marriage. And I wonder if you go home today and you have a heart-to-heart with your spouse, maybe each of you take a turn and say, hey, is there a deficit in our marriage? Is there something in your love tank that isn't getting filled? Is there something that I can do? Is there a way I can humble myself and serve you and love you in a different way that would fill you up? Because I don't want you going out in the world with a deficit. And when you have this kind of talk with your spouse and you do this kind of thing, what's really cool and what brings you closer together and gives you a more intimate relationship with, with, with each other is this feeling of exclusivity, that you are exclusive. Because what you're saying to your spouse in that moment is, I only have eyes for you and I only want to pursue you. And there's these things in my life that I only want to share with you. And those are things that are powerful and that bring you closer together in a marriage. This feeling that I'm exclusive and there are parts of me that I share deep levels of communication, deep truths. I'm not going to hold any falsehood uh, back from you. I'm going to tell you the truth about everything. And, and you, you build these things in your life and you build these things in your marriage. You find you're even getting closer and closer and closer to your spouse. But what's amazing about that is the same desire, and this pattern is illustrated in Scripture so many times. The relationship with Jesus and the church, the relationship with God and his children, and the relationship with you and your spouse are illustrative throughout Scripture. That the intimate relationship that a husband and wife can only have is the same type of relationship God wants to have with you as a child of God. God wants you to be exclusive to him. That you would say to everything else in this world, God, I want to be closer to you. There's no other gods before you. There's no other idols that are going to be in life. I have intimacy with you because I've chosen to, chosen to be exclusive. That I'm only going your way. You're the only voice that I'm listening to, God. You're the one that I'm going to come to. You're the one that I'm only going to share this with. There, we're going to have an intimate relationship, God. And there's going to be exclusivity and closeness here that's experienced with nobody else in the entire universe, because I want to be close to you. And you know what's amazing about that? Is I think a bunch of us this morning want that. But is it the priority in our life? So we just get to working on so many other things in life. We forget to be working on reading our Bibles. We forget to be working on talking about God and talking to God. Forget to be working on relationships that would honor and glorify God. I don't want to leave you with that this morning. What are you pursuing? Are you putting up these guardrails, these standards of behavior? And are they actually becoming a matter of conviction in your heart that they're going to be there? And when that temptation comes and you start to veer, it's going to be bang, but it's like, I'm not going off in the ditch. Because I have a close relationship with God. And because of that, I've allowed him to set these guardrails in my life. And they, they not only protect me from the big falls, they direct my paths. 
And guess what? I'm getting my car repainted next week and it ain't going to have as many scratches because I'm staying on the direction of life that God wants me to go. And I just want you to know there's hope and forgiveness for that relationship with another person, but especially in your marriage. If you'll just choose to go his way, to be close to him. Because it's amazing. As I see two people growing toward God, guess what? They're also growing toward each other because they're going the same direction. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for marriage. I thank you for what it represents. God, I thank you that um, you're a God that gave us this awesome relationship that we can have with another person. God, I thank you for your word and for the challenge of scripture today. That we're called to, to put these guardrails in place in our life. But God, we have to know inside our hearts that we can't do this on our own. It's not a just try harder all the time type of thing in the Christian life. It's surrender more. It's give up more. Because we need your power. We need your Holy Spirit to walk in these ways. Which means we need to have a relationship with you. And God, I, I know there are some of those this morning that have never called upon your name. They've never made that decision to surrender their life and their heart to you. And God, I pray today would be the day of salvation for one of your children. That they would choose to come home to the Heavenly Father. And allow you to love them. To, to as we read earlier in the scripture, to make you knew, to put on the new self, to walk in newness of life. Oh God, there's so many here this morning that need that hope, that need that forgiveness from you. God, I know there's some of us though, we've called upon your name and we've walked with you for years, but we've walked away. We didn't have guardrails in place. We made a mess of our life, but God, you take broken things and you redeem them and make them whole and right again. And so God, I just pray as we sing this song, as we reflect on your love for us, God, Do that redemptive work in our hearts and our minds right now. We pray in Jesus' name.